Hello, hello. This is Dr. Jason Lee, clinical immunologist, analogist in Toronto, Ontario. I have here uh, Kristen, one of the uh, pharmacists extraordinaire, who's been uh, super positive the entire pandemic and uh, you know able to really convey some of the challenges in a very constructive way. And I thought she'd be a great person to talk to about how you know doctors and pharmacists can collaborate together to bring optimal patient care. So, Kristen, uh, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, my name is Kristen Watt. I'm a pharmacist. I work in Southampton, Ontario. I own a small community pharmacy. Um, my major focus of care is palliative care in the region. I've done a lot of work during COVID-19 as well, a lot of vaccinations, a lot of testing, and a lot of uh, community engagement and outreach. And I'm really happy to talk on this. I have a, a great number of friends and colleagues who are physicians and there's so much we can learn from each other uh, and learn how to, as I was just saying, uh, work together. I think sometimes we end up in these parallel universes and it just causes some grief and I think there's ways that we can uh, better understand each other's profession and what we both have to offer and work together in the betterment of patient care. Absolutely and you know in medicine in general we have this kind of siloed approach where everyone kind of works in their little room or, you know, a clinic or a hospital. And there's very little room for um, interaction, especially like face-to-face -face talks and uh, things like that. So, you know, uh, understandably for, you know, medical legal reasons, we communicate a lot by um, written form. And it's uh, it's hard to, you know, communicate. Uh, things can be misconstrued or we don't really, you know, get at what the person is getting at. Um, but yeah, so this makes it very challenging. And you know, add the pandemic on top, it gets even more challenging because you know, there's even more requests uh, in this way. Um, what are some of the, um, you know, if you were to say the top two challenges that uh, physicians and, you know, pharmacists face when uh, working together, what would you say are those kind of, you know, top two? Challenges ones? would be volume of communication. So you probably get many faxes on any given day from a variety of different people, other specialists, physicians, and pharmacies. And then in our setting, we get tons of faxes and communications from specialists, family physicians, um, and other prescribers for our patients. So it's it, the volume that we're dealing with is really high. So that would probably be my number one uh, challenge. And then number two would probably be patient expectations for both of us. They're expecting you to send something to me. They're expecting me to have it ready in a timely fashion without understanding all of the nuances that go on behind the scenes and everything that's required to get from uh, appointment and diagnosis to medication in hand. Yeah, you bring up a good point about volume of faxes. I'm sure uh, it goes both ways. And then we've got the emails as well. Um, you know, and other electronic forms of communication. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this gives anyone a perspective out there, but my office, because we have a virtual fax system, we've got two virtual faxes and a one physical fax. Um, the virtual faxes alone account for about 3,000 faxes of pages uh, per month. Um, and I don't know how many, you know, in paper ones we get because I don't keep track or, you know, I don't, I don't care to keep track. Uh, and then the emails uh, as well, you know, with uh, more online care and virtual care, um, they certainly add up, uh, especially, you know, in my office, we use the TELSPS suite system, and there's quite a substantial number of, uh, you know, messages and you know, um, electronic communication that occur. Um, you also bring up a, another good point, Kristen, the, the patient expectation um, thing, piece. Um, you know, as you know, there's many, many pharmacists in the province of Ontario, 
And, you know, I think I, I found it kind of interesting and during the pandemic and it's still going on that patients expect me to know every shoppers that happens to be near their house or the expectation is that all pharmacies are integrated. And then secondly, if I send the fax prescription off, which is kind of, I, I think, encouraged by the, <clears throat> the our, at least our regulatory body, the College of Physicians, is to send the fax directly to the pharmacist uh, as opposed to, you know, having a PDF or something uh, other form uh, to the patient, because, you know, that's not as secure. Um, would you say those are kind of common things that you come across or common themes? Oh, absolutely. So we, we would probably expect in our pharmacy to get somewhere between 750 to 1,000 faxes per week wow. uh, on any given week, um, uh, hundreds a day. And, and then, uh, and, but we actually, we, I like um, the change in the model. So I've been in pharmacy for about 20 years and huge difference in the volume of patient drop-off prescriptions versus Faxton. Faxton at least gives me a little bit of lead time. But the fun part is, is the patients who are just driving by on their way home and wanted to drop in and see if it was done. Um, so I, I kind of understanding where it goes from, like for me, understanding what's happening when it's coming from your office. And then for the patients understanding where it goes from once it leaves your office and gets to us and that it's, this is not ordering fast food. You're, you didn't place an order for a pizza and we won't have it ready in 30 minutes or it's free. It just doesn't work like that. So the managing expectations, I think, is one of the biggest things that we do in helping patients understand. And what I have found is that if I communicate that, everything goes exceptionally smoothly. If there's something that I'm looking for, I need an LU, I don't have enough of a product, I need clarification. If I'm really straightforward with a patient that I will call you when this is sorted out and I deliver on that, then they have the trust that what they need is going to happen so they don't follow up to your office, to my pharmacy, with multiple phone calls and drop-ins. And I'm actually able to provide better care because I'm not distracted by the additional check-ins because I'm meeting what I promise. So mm -hmm. I find that uh, communication amongst all of us is what's really important, but that's what leads to the thousands of faxes that we both get. And I think uh, what I, I, I teach a lot of um, pharmacy students and I also bring in medical residents and the family medic medicine rotation in our area. So they come to the pharmacy for four hours to see what it looks like on our end, because when you send it, it's it's sent and you do expect that the patient will receive the medication that you prescribed in a timely fashion. There's a whole bunch of things that might happen on our end that you might not be aware of, or the doctors might not be aware. So we, we bring in the family medicine residents and we teach them about all the different things. Like when you send us a discharge on a, a Friday at four, this is what's about to happen in the community pharmacy in order to get the meds to the patient. So really being clear on all of our communication. I try, if I need to clarify something, I hope it can be done in one set of faxes. One question, one return. I'll put everything I need all at once. And I'll make it very clear. You know, when you were in grade two and you would pass a note in the class and uh, do you like me? Circle one. Yes, no. I will give those options and say, just simply indicate, make it really clear so that it's easy for both of us. And we don't have to guess what anybody's thinking. But at the end of all of it, if, if that type of communication doesn't work, because like you said, we, we try to write everything down, I will pick up the phone. And I think it's a generational thing, especially um, as I teach the younger generations, they don't want to pick up the phone. I like, just call the office. Let's see if we can get somebody on the line and actually have a two-minute conversation instead mm -hmm. of waiting for these faxes to bounce back and Absolutely. forth. Sometimes that's all we need. Yes. So, Kristen, you mentioned uh, limited use codes. Uh, you know, uh, for those who don't know, LU codes refers to uh, limited use. Uh, it's a way uh, for some patients uh, to get the medication uh, covered under the provincial drug plan. Um, so, you know, if you're, for example, over the age of 65 
or uh, uh, if you're young, uh, um, you know, in the pediatric age group, uh, you can use this code to kind of uh, get coverage for this medication. Um, you mentioned the other thing about uh, the number of faxes you get too. It's uh, it's even more than mine. So you know, certainly, uh, you know, that's very challenging. Um, take me through the process. Like when I send a fax through my EMR, it's just instantaneous, and you know, I just kind of go like this. And then patients always ask me, <laughs> "When can I pick it up?" I said, "I don't know. Probably if I you know write fax it off in the morning, probably sometime uh, in the afternoon or evening. Um, you know, I." I and then some, uh, sometimes it's interesting, patients will say, oh yeah, I just got it within the hour. So like, what is the process? And is that process probably not the same in every pharmacy, I imagine? It's absolutely not uniform across the board in the same way that your practice in prescribing is the same way. Um, so in my, I'll tell you what we do in my pharmacy and I, I think we have a decent model. So we have cloud fax. So we don't actually have a fax machine that rings and we are with TELUS as well. So your fax will come in in our oh. virtual um, system. And then I have a pharmacy technician who will do the, what we call data entry. So they will enter the prescription as it was written. And uh, if there's no issues with it that they can see, they adjudicate it through to the patient's plan. So there's stop number one, if we're missing an LU code, or if there's a dose change that wasn't indicated on there, because sometimes we ask for repeats of prescriptions um, and we get a prescription back, but that's not what we asked for. For example, let's just say I requested a script for, given what you do, I requested a script for some flow event, but you send back a script for Simbacort. And we're like, well, was it a mispick on your end or was it an intentional change because you actually had a conversation with the pharmacist? If it's not indicated on there, change to mm -hmm. or dose increase, then we don't know. And we've got to stop the process. We've got to check with the patient. Was this an intentional dose increase or change? As you know, when patients are taking in information from both prescribers and pharmacists, it's a lot. It can be overwhelming and they don't always remember everything that was said. So they'll say, I know we talked about something, but I don't know and I'm not sure. So now I still, now I've got to reach back out to your office and find out if this change was intended. So little things like saying change, increase, uh, oh, those things are super helpful. Okay, you know what? I didn't even think about that. So that's a great tip uh, that I'll add. If I'm, you know, changing someone's medication dosage or something, I'll say no change or or whatnot. Uh, you know, um, one of the things I've learned to do is if I'm, you know, as a specialist, I use off-label dosing all the time. So I always write, mm -hmm. uh, you know, MD aware of monograph or MD aware of uh, off-label dosing, uh, something to that effect, just so that uh, you know to reduce this kind of fax back and forth and whatnot. Um, I, the other interesting thing you mentioned is, um, you know, when you're um, seeing like the, the misclick or whatnot, uh, for, you know, listeners out there, um, you know, people don't necessarily know this, that you and I actually share 50-50 liability for any uh, medical errors that um, arise as a part of uh, medication dispensing. So, so, for example, if I happen to pick a medication... Um, and it totally interacts in like a bad way with another medication the patient's on. And let's say I didn't know about it because the patient didn't disclose it or, or who knows, I didn't write it down or I miswrote it down. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think uh, on several occasions, at least every year, the pharmacist kind of saved my, you know, uh, rear end to, for lack of a better word, because they, they know that. <laughs> uh, so you know, that's one great way. I think, um, you know, there's a good collaboration here by, you know, I, I don't know if, if sharing the liability is what makes us check, but I, I always find that I'm, I'm very appreciative of catching mistakes on my end. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that's why this system, I appreciate the way the system is designed so that it's, it, it allows for double checks on both our parts. Um, I think that there's so many opportunities for us to learn from each other and to identify those. What we often see is that patients have multiple prescribers. They have a family physician and they have multiple specialists for multiple issues that are going on, but they often go to the same pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So we tend to have their com- more their most complete medication record um, that that is possible. And we know that it's very challenging to keep things in play in the city. I think it would probably be more, a little bit more challenging because patients may go to the closest pharmacy and not necessarily the same one every time. So what I've been doing in my practice is really advising patients strongly to treat their, uh, their pharmacist, like their family doctor, you go to one, you go to one for all your questions. You go to one for all of your medications. And I've, Uh, set such a hard line in our pharmacy that we won't provide over-the-counter medication counseling on a patient for whom gets their prescriptions elsewhere because I can't be sure of what I am doing if I don't have their full background. And I really need to set that, that line in the sand so that people understand that well, what I'm doing does have liability uh, and risk, and it's it's very unsafe if I can't advise you properly, especially when, in some instances, I actually think it's their prescription medicine causing the issue that they want me to treat symptomatically. I had a patient mm-hmm. come in last week looking for something for their wife for dry mouth. She got all her prescriptions at another pharmacy, and immediately I'm thinking anticholinergic medications. And he says, well, I was just driving by and well, yeah, I can give you a dry mouth mouthwash, but that's not going to fix the problem. And if yeah. we can drill down and what I tell pa- patients is if you were my patient, this is what I would do. I would do a full med review. I would communicate with your prescribers. We'd make a plan, but they have to understand the value of adding the pharmacist to their team as a practitioner and not just a place that they get their medications. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, you know, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, in this situation, you know, COVID has been very tough, a lot of, a lot of frustrations coming out uh, on everyone. Um, and, you know, the uh, some patients, I'm not sure why they think this, but, you know, um, I get asked this similar question all the time. Why do I need a follow-up for a refill? Like I've already used it five times. And it's to check for things like this, right? Are, are there new medications that I have to consider? Are there new interactions? Uh, you know, are you having any side effects that you may not be aware of? Uh, with respect to that medication, you know, uh, luckily for me, I'm in the world of allergy and immunology and the allergy medications are you know, very, rare, very safe overall uh, in terms of uh, interactions and uh, whatnot. Um, but I can imagine, you know, the, the over-the-counter medication and interaction with prescriptions is very, you know, it's, it's often um, overlooked because patients assume that over-the-counter medications don't interact and that they're very safe. Um, you know, I can think of uh, one uh, very good example of patients on an uh, angiotensin converting enzyme uh, inhibitor, like uh, for blood pressure, and they're getting angioedema. You probably don't want to add a non-steroidal every day. And people, again, I have many patients in my practice who take, you know, drugs like Advil every single day and don't realize that it can you know, amplify swelling in some cases. Um, yeah, that, you, you mentioned something else, too, in terms of, you know, patients... Um, that, that patient uh, came in and asking for, you know, his wife's dry mouth. We always want to treat the underlying cause. And yeah, and you'd be very surprised um, how few, um, even among specialists, 
they're not quite aware of uh, anticholinergic side effects. You just happen to bring that one up with something like Spiriva or like, you know, which is a teotropium, uh, which can cause, you know, GI side effects, dry mouth, things like that. So it really is important to go to one pharmacy for all your medications um, because yeah, only then you will, you know, know if there's any interactions. Um, just, just before I turn it over to you again, I think one thing that listeners don't know is that all pharmacy records are not integrated, even within shoppers. They don't know what you're getting at the other shoppers. And again, I'm always surprised that patients, you know, assume everything's integrated. We have a very fragmented siloed system. Do you think this needs to change perhaps, or? I think it's challenging because there's a lot of privacy issues. And if you go to a particular pharmacy, you've chosen to give consent to that pharmacy to access your information. Having a central system would be fantastic, um, but I think it would have to be a draw from system, not a push system in that if you go to another practitioner and you give them permission, then they can then log in and draw that information back out. But the uh, the number of prescriptions that are dispensed in Ontario in any year and to have one central repository to manage all of that, I, I don't think that that would be possible. But I also think there's a lot of privacy concerns that would be surrounding that. P patients move from pharmacy to pharmacy um, because of staff that are there and for privacy reasons. So we have to be mindful of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very interesting um, that, uh, you know, I trained in BC uh, in Vancouver. And so they have a system there where in the event of an emergency, like let's say you show up in the emergency department, um, you know, it, it's a push in system and you can access during an emergency, every single medication that patient has been, you know, I guess dispensed uh, throughout the province. Um, yeah, I get the, the whole privacy part uh, too, because you don't necessarily want you know, everyone to know, you know, what, uh, you know, me maybe mental health issues you have or what other medications you may be on. So, um, but yeah, I guess in, in certain cases, it, it makes it difficult to discern if there's any interactions or any safety issues that may occur too at the same time. Absolutely. And I mean, the safety is always paramount. So we have to weigh both privacy along with their safety, which is why we really need to empower patients to understand the value of consistency and, and asking specific professionals their questions. Pharmacies often we're not seen yet as um, at, at that level with some patients. And I think we're moving towards it. I think the pandemic has done amazing things to elevate the stature of pharmacists across the country and show that what we can do and what we're capable of and, and what's coming hopefully in, in some of the provinces. Like in, in Alberta, pharmacists are autonomous prescribers. And in Ontario, we're working on a minor ailment program where pharmacists may be able to prescribe for um, some cutaneous issues, pink eye, urinary tract infections, et cetera. So I think these things are coming. And as they, as they come more, people will really see the value in going just to a single pharmacy. We, we often say to patients, well, you'd never walk into another doctor's office and ask a question. You need to treat us the same way. We really are yours or we're not. Yeah, so there's um, certainly some resistance amongst uh, some physicians against, you know, giving uh, pharmacies uh, or pharmacists more scope of practice. Um, you know, I, you know, it's 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 a challenging situation though because there are definitely access issues even even within the city of Toronto. A lot of my patients don't actually have a primary care. You know, they you know constantly ask me to do primary care things. And I always say, you know, you have to get yourself a family doctor, uh, you know, and um, from what I understand though, pharmacists are, have the power to renew prescriptions, correct? Or, uh, but I, I don't see it done very often in, in Ontario. 
so we can yes we can yeah we can renew prescriptions um at this time we're not paid for that service so i think that's part of the barrier for what's coming so in in to in order to renew we need to do an assessment whether it's when was last time your blood pressure was checked Mm. yes when was last time your cholesterol was checked Mm. do you understand why you're taking this do you have any side like that all of those Mm. things and none of that is paid for um so that i think is a big barrier to us continuing to provide that service we can also adapt prescriptions um the doses etc so a good example of that is uh, prescriptions that come out of emerge for amoxicillin and the dose might be lower than what is um, suggested by the guidelines for whatever reason and Mm -hmm. we feel that the dose could be increased we can technically do that i think a lot of pharmacists uh, are hesitant to do that because of the pushback that has happened um over even just us gaining the ability to prescribe for minor ailments. I, I think the new generations that are graduating are going to be a little bit more comfortable with those types of things. But the the um, the compensation for these things needs to also follow because uh, when our focus is wholly on dispensing, and I mean, I do a, quite a bit of clinical work um, paid for through the Ontario MedsCheck program, but the, the, the items that aren't covered, I, I, I don't have the time because we're not paid for it. So I can't bring in the staff to cover that in order for me to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're taking liability, there does not definitely need to be some compensation because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's asking you to do free labor, which, you know, unfortunately, I think every every job or every profession within healthcare, uh, there's an expectation that you shoulder some of the burdens of a, you know, underfunded uh, healthcare system, which makes it, uh, you know, kind of uh, challenging and, you know, soul crushing in some ways, uh, doing a ton of free free work and labor. Um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, the classic example is those exceptional access forms that I fill out all day and, you know, go over with the staff uh, to get the more expensive medications or medications the patient doesn't have coverage for. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if pharmacists are involved in like the whole Trillium process as well, uh, Trillium Gift of Life Foundation and filling out those uh, forms and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of forms, more, more faxes to push through. Exactly. Absolutely. There's actually some, um, there's an EAP program online that you can register for and complete the forms online. And you can actually delegate to a pharmacy. But again, another thing that we don't get paid for and no, neither do you. So then it's like, who's doing more of the unpaid work together. So absolutely. I think you're right. We, we, we need to provide healthcare, but we need to be compensated adequately for it. I always say, think of your lawyer. Have you ever had anything from your lawyer that was free? They charge you for photocopying and stapling. And, uh, and and we, there's (laughs) right. Incidentals. There's so many things that we do. And I understand that patients absolutely have a right to healthcare. It's, it's Mm -hmm. the system. That's the issue. Um, and patients shouldn't be shouldering that burden in order to provide it. And until they do, we end up covering those things because we still do them so that the patients still get their care. Yeah, I think the system you were referring to there for the online is called uh, Sadie, and you can have uh, designates like your, uh, you know, admin staff uh, do some of the, uh, you know, uploading and some of the paperwork. Um, I still haven't signed up, to be fair. Uh, I know it was supposed to end in this, uh, or everything was supposed to be going to Sadie uh, as of December last year, but the government has allowed for an extension of the old, you know, paper and facts. And I, I got to be honest, uh, Kristen, now. Uh, you know, doing a paper and fax allows me to scribble stuff on on paper and it takes a lot less time than you know doing it online and you're right because it's uncompensated i'm going to do 
the thing that cost me the least amount of time. Um, so Absolutely. it's kind of these aspects that I think people don't quite realize. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there, there's so much that we do um, that for each one of our patients. And I think that's just the nature of our um, psyche as healthcare professionals, because mm-hmm. we, whatever it takes to treat the patient in front of us is what we do. Breaking down the barriers is what is most ideal for all of us. The limited uses that are uh, unlimited. Those ones, yeah. they just don't make sense to me. You get a code and they're covered for life. So what was the point? And uh, there's so many things that, that we see. One thing I'll tell you that I, I try to do in collaboration in my region is when big changes come out, I'll actually send an email out to all the physicians in our area that I have oh, email amazing. addresses for or text messages or the ones who I have on ePrescribe. Mm-hmm. For example, the changes to insulin coverage that's coming. So in Ontario for seniors, um, and people who are covered under the Green Shield program, they want them to be changed to the biosimilar insulins. So the expensive insulins are our Lantus, our Humalog, and our Novarapid, and they want patients to be changed to the biosimilars, which are cheaper. So here's the fun part. The people who are already on the brand names will be covered as long as I get an LU. So now I got to fax all the doctors for an LU for all of them. Any of the new patients who are starting on them uh, must be switched to a biosimilar, but they are not generically interchangeable. This isn't all taste to Ramipril. So if you write a prescription for Nova Rapid, I have to email back to you and ask for the biosimilar to be approved. I do not have the authority in Ontario to make that switch, which is such a barrier to care. So what I did knowing this was coming was I emailed all of the doctors in the area saying, FYI, start writing your insulin scripts in the generic wording so we don't have to bother you again. I guess that's an advantage so, of, uh, you know, sometimes being in a small community. Uh, I think there's got to be at least like, you know, uh, 200 pharmacies, like within like a 15 minute <laughs> walk from where I, where I practice. So it's hard. Um, you know, one of the things I really value is, um, you know, meeting face to face with people. Um, and you know, one of the things that was going on, you know, pre-pandemic and, and a little bit through Zoom meetings uh, during the pandemic was, you know, collaborative uh, sort of CME uh, events that I have done with the pharmacists. Uh, you know, where they'll, you know, we'll, we'll all kind of discuss a topic together, um, you know, and the implications for practice and prescribers. Uh, I, I feel that kind of stuff is not done that often. And, you know, I, I think there was one, you know, Shoppers has a has an annual conference where I spoke to one time about uh, eczema or atopic dermatitis and, you know, all the treatments that are used there. Um, you know, I, I wish there were more things like this, honestly, because I think it would help each other understand the profession. I'm kind of really, you know, heartened to hear that you actually have medical students and trainees go through your office just to see the process, right? Because really it's a black box for me. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I think there's opportunity everywhere. It's just a matter of time, which none of us have right now. Um, I also love, I do love industry funded CME because they pay for dinner and we all get together and we can actually sit around and chit chat. We'll listen as well and who knows how that will impact our practice but we get the oh sorry Kristen you you cut out there for a second oh sorry sorry just uh cut out there for a second you could just say that apart again it was it was on my end internet connection unstable you can blame Elon Musk Uh, okay yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> more than just that. Um, what I'm saying is I really like um, doing CMEs that are in, per- in person and even industry funded ones where we can sit around and chit chat over dinner and really connect on a personal level to understand the person beside us and what they're do- going through and, and their patient population. And I think even in, in urban centers, there is opportunity. If I was in your area, I remember um, I'm part of the way through the pandemic following you on Twitter and you were talking about dosing. I'm going to say it was Simbacord and how you get pushback when you dose it. Yeah. So, I mean, if, and if, if that was in my area, I would reach out and say, Hey, do you want to do uh, an education night together? Cause I want to understand this, but I bet the 200 pharmacies that are within walking distance of your location would love to be invited to such a thing. And then you get industry to fund it a little bit so that you actually can go out and have a meal and talk and things like that. I think it's great that you did the shoppers conference. That's fantastic. Cause there's so many different there are uh, conferences that I love to go to these events. I go to the Ontario Pharmacists Association conference. I go to the Pharmacy U conferences. Uh, when I was in long-term care, I went to their conferences. I think that's really, if we sit next to each other, we also humanize the other profession. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You mentioned the uh, phone call, like a one or two minute phone call can save a lot of aggravation on both ends. And, you know, you're, people don't do it that much. You know, I'll give you the perfect example. There was a pharmacy you know, I guess I can use Loblaws. There's so many Loblaws pharmacies around in Toronto. Uh, you know, they had that very question about, the, um, you know, uh, the Simbacort dosing. They questioned why I allowed for PRN dosing uh, and, and sort of the detailed explanation. Um, and, um, you know, they, you know, sometimes I, I don't like it when people do this, but sometimes pharmacists fax me the entire monograph. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I don't need <laughs> as like, as if you know, you've never seen it. Yeah, as if I've never seen, uh, but they don't know that. I, I get it. They don't know that. So I picked up the phone. I talked to the pharmacist and, you know, it was very collegial. I just said, you know, this is um, something called smart therapy, single maintenance and reliever therapy. Uh, I do it all the time. It's recommended uh, as of 20, uh, I think 18 in the, you know, Global Initiative for Asthma GINA Guidelines, this is kind of the preferred approach for treating asthma. You know, of course, the, the penetration hasn't gotten there even amongst the specialists and, 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 and doctors. Uh, so it takes a while for um, this kind of information to trickle, but Simbacort Smart Therapy has been out for a little bit longer than that. Um, so, and, you know, I was very, again, heartwarmed to hear that, you know, the pharmacist I was talking to was genuinely interested in learning about this approach. Uh, so that they wouldn't, uh, you know, um, you know, question other prescriptions or, or, you know, it seemed like they really wanted to learn why. And then I explained why it kind of lets you for, to auto titrate the amount of steroid you, ne- you need and you get less exacerbations of asthma so on and so forth. And so that was a really good exchange. Um, and yeah, I, 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 you know, I like these human kind of moments. Absolutely. I, I, there's, and there's so many different ways that we can go about it, but there's, we're so fragmented. And like you said earlier, we're so siloed that trying to figure out which way to reach everybody. When I get a piece of information like that, I will tell, like I run a pharmacy owners group on Facebook. I'll oh, post cool. stuff out there. Yeah. And then there's also this amazing community pharmacy network um, group that one of my classmates from U of T uh, runs and when at its height it has over 7,000 pharmacists and pharmacy technicians from across the country so we share therapeutic tips like that and so you reaching out to that one pharmacist may actually get out to many many of us uh, and remind us of things because community pharmacists especially we're generalists we're the family doctors of pharmacy we know a little bit about a lot of things yeah, and you everything yeah, yeah. 
and you're the specialist in your particular area and you know a ton about that. So sharing that information is always appreciated. And, and, and tell them, like, if you're out there, post it, tell your friends about this particular therapy and it gets out there. I mean, I also love Twitter. Uh, just this weekend, I learned three or four different clinical pearls that would really change my practice that I just hadn't thought of. And every friend of mine I've talked to this week, I was like, hey, by the way, these are the three things I just learned this weekend. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be a whole weekend. It doesn't have to be a two hour after work CE. It can be that phone call that will change practice for a number of practitioners. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but, uh, you know, I have some relatives that are pharmacists and, uh, you know, um, and, you know, they, they like, you know, kind of asking me things and, you know, and they kind of like it when, you know, I, they ask me questions about allergy, for example, you know, why not, why wouldn't I use Benadryl for an allergic reaction and I kind of explain the process, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate the position I'm in. I, I have to know like, you know, maybe 20 conditions, but extremely well, uh, those 20, same 20 conditions, but it really is challenging for a family doctor or a pharmacist to know sort of the nuances and intricacies of every sort of, uh, medication and, and treatment, I suppose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think the most important thing I value in my profession is being aware of what I don't know. Because then I'll pause and and look further into things before I, I distribute it or dispense it out to my patient. And I think that's an awareness that just comes with time and practice uh, as we go along. And and that, that and that's when I'll reach out and try to get more information for sure. Yeah, you, we should start a pharmacist doctor Facebook group or something, <laughs> and, uh, just to try to streamline uh, communications. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, like the whole pandemic, I think it's put a lot of people on edge and, you know, some, uh, some frustrations kind of boil over, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it really was good to meet you on Twitter and, and some of the other wonderful pharmacists. Cause you, you know, sometimes you get the sense, Oh, why am I getting this, uh, you know, facts uh, again? And then you probably feel the same way. Like why didn't this doctor fill out the limited use form? Now I got to send them a fax and, and her fax. And, you know, I guess it, I suppose it goes both ways. And, uh, you know, it really is good to have that, uh, you know, human touch from time to time. Sorry, you cut out there. Oh, I just saying it's really good to have that human touch uh, from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. I think Twitter's been great for that in terms of connections with other practitioners and seeing each other uh, out there. And it's funny, I also find it super triggering sometimes, both for physicians and for patients when I, uh, comment that, you know, a pharmacist doesn't have to uh, dispense any prescription. They can refuse for any reason. I always add the caveat that it should be for a good clinical reason and they're going to find another alternative and things like that. But I think we're, it's a, Twitter can be a place of good, if you can believe it, when That's we absolutely. find each other and collaborate. And then you have somebody you can ask questions to. I've received questions before. Hey, Kristen, uh, I, you're the one pharmacist I'm going to ask. I'm hearing that this is happening. What do you think of this? And, and you're, you might be right throwing up a Facebook group because it, within a week, we're going to yeah. get a hundred questions from physicians saying, why is everybody asking for LUs for Nova rapid? And I'm going to be like, Hey, this is what happened. This isn't fun for us either. <laughs> no, of course. You know, it's, it's the, I blame the, uh, the government and, you know, it, it's, it really is interesting. Um, you know, I think one of the other conversations we had on Twitter was you told me the McKesson order number for, uh, you know, Atrovent nasal spray. And, you know, I, I actually write that on my prescriptions, like every time I actually prescribe it, because, you know, before I put that, I was getting a lot of faxes back saying, you know, this is medication no longer available. Uh, and just putting the actual order number actually cut down that 
a lot uh, substantially. So, so I thank you for that. That was, you know, a really good uh, uh, suggestion. Um, yeah, one of the other things I, I also wondered about, uh, or that I've been, you know, I feel like I've been taking advantage of in the pandemic is for any medication I, I dispense, you know, whether it be an auto injector for epinephrine, like for example, EpiPen, um, or whether it be Simbacord that we talked about, um, because I'm not like the initial point of contact, I'm not there to physically show them how to use the device. Uh, I, I'll say, you know, please have your pharmacist go over it with you. Uh, but before you go in there, uh, try to watch a YouTube video from a good source, like maybe the actual manufacturer source on how to use this correctly and then go over it with your pharmacist. Cause I kind of like to do that just to make sure that, you know, we're not wasting medication or the patient's gonna uh, not benefit from it and whatnot. It's Absolutely. And this is actually a plug for pharmacy technicians. So within the Ontario College of Pharmacists, we have a, a level of practitioner called pharmacy technician, and they are trained for all the technical aspects of dispensing. They can actually check prescriptions, provided a pharmacist has laid eyes and verified that clinically it's sound. A technician can check the accuracy of a prescription that is being dispensed. Is it dispensed exactly according to the prescription? In addition to that, they are trained on device demos. So I actually hand that off further down to my technicians because that is at their scope of practice. And they very much enjoy doing that. I have uh, three technicians on staff and they're very adept at uh, doing device training. And so when reps come in with device uh, for demos and additional training, I'll actually pass them off to my technicians uh, for them to do the training with my patients. And patients really appreciate that. And then it's another... Um, uh, practitioner, another professional that they know that they have that they can rely on. That's great. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was wonderful to have uh, pharmacists involved in the vaccination process, especially with the pandemic. Uh, you know, I received my uh, third dose at my community pharmacy that's attached to my building. And uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of my patients uh, received all their COVID doses there. So it's been, it's been really good for access. You know, in fact, it was easier for me to access my community pharmacy than, than uh, my first two doses where I went had to go to the hospital. The, the system I, I, thought, I felt was better organized. And, you know, you can almost have every pharmacist kind of having their own implemented system in terms of how they, you know, vaccinate. But it, it was very efficient, I thought, and, and very good. It was uh, a labor of love, that's for sure. It was very, very challenging, uh, mostly morally and existentially, and less so actually technically, just because the demand was so high and people were so scared. It was very, it was something else, truly. We were really glad to be part of it and to know that we contributed to um, increased immunity across, I, I don't want to say getting out of it because I don't think we're out of it. So increased immunity across uh, the public, we're very proud to be part of that. And I think it, it was, uh, like I said earlier, great for our stature in the community. It also showed the um, capacity within our industry to focus on things. And I hope that we're able to then direct that focus into the minor ailments program. You mentioned earlier that there's been some pushback about uh, pharmacists expanded scope and extension of prescribing abilities. And there was a great podcast on uh, CBC White Coat Black Art with uh, Dr. Kelly Grindrod out of the University of Waterloo. She's a pharmacist speaking with uh, Dr. Brian Goldman about some of the barriers to pharmacists prescribing and the pushback. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot to be said for our level of professionalism and the ability to provide patients with very high level care um, with the knowledge base that we come out of school with. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming next. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. You know, uh, Pfizer um, just announced that everyone will need the 
Omicron specific booster. So, you know, um, you know, I think I, we're definitely not out of the woods yet. I'm looking at reports from, uh, you know, a lot of places in the U.S. where the BA2 subvariant of Omicron has now been 50%. Uh, and if you if you look at some of the Ontario trends, it does look like it's been doubling since like, you know, around late January, February. It's kind of easy math there on the doubling. So I think we're in for some trouble. We'll see. Hopefully not, but uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, Kristen, thank you for your really hard work. Uh, during this pandemic. I know it's been very challenging and, you know, sometimes people are kind of take out their frustrations on us. They kind of equate us with the government. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but that happens. But yeah, I think you've been a very positive force in the world. And uh, yeah, I look forward to interacting with you some more. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right.